Welcome to another episode of the podcast. In this episode, I chat with Courtney Ward of the South Coast Register about journalism and how it's changed over the years, especially this year due to COVID. And then we discuss a number of sports topics. So let's get to the conversation. So I'm chatting to sports editor of the South Coast Register, a friend of mine, Courtney Ward. Thanks for joining me. No worries, mate. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. How you been? You're working from home. I'm working from home. This is something that I pretty much ask everyone at the start of these podcasts because we're in the middle of it right now. Now, But how's COVID treating you? Yeah, like it is a bit weird working from home. Like at first, we've been working from home since mid-March. Like at first, I was, it took us some adjustment. Like I was like, oh, I don't really know how I like this. Obviously, I got into a real good rhythm at work with the office mentality and the feeling there. And I think you missed that social uh, interaction at first, but after probably two weeks, I really got into a flow of working from home. And yeah, I, I reckon I'm more productive at home. Like we've been doing it for close to six months now. And I don't think there's any end in sight now with, with everything that's going on. And I reckon it's going to change the media landscape forever moving forward. Like realistically, like if I've got a computer, I can write a story from wherever I am. So yeah, I'm really embracing it. I'm really enjoying it. So for people listening that don't know you or don't know what you do, so as I mentioned, you're a sports editor. So what what, what sort of sports are you covering at the moment? And um, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. So I've been um, in this role since February 2015. And yeah, covering, originally this was just covering sport pretty much in the Shoalhaven South Coast region anywhere from in the winter to from Group 7 to Shaven Football or Rugby AFL South Coast. Um, and then the summer, obviously, the main one, Shaven Cricket. But it's other things like Shaven Hockey, Shaven Netball. And then sort of over the years, the, the role sort of grown more and more. And definitely through this lockdown, like now I'm covering sports all the way from Wollongong all the way down to the border at Bega and across to, to Canberra. Just everyone's just got to be at a cover many bases and we're just sharing stories all across Australian community media which is what we fall under and yeah I'm, I'm really enjoying it and it's, it's great to sort of get a different feel of how other sport other regions sort of deal with their sport and interact and even during lockdown I dabbled into straight journalism did a couple of like music <laughs> stories and um how'd you find that it's, an, uh, it's different like it I did enjoy it because there was a couple of like profile stories that I did, um, they weren't too dissimilar, but I think obviously my writing style definitely suits the sports writing style. It's definitely a, bit, a niche market, but yeah, I didn't mind it. Like, I think it's a bit of a, a mix up and with the lockdown, there was not much sport going on and there's only so many like previews and obviously there's a lot of profiles with like Olympic athletes from the South Coast. But once you've spoken to all them, I had to sort of, yeah, jumped in and did other stories like, one of the big stories I did, there's a couple of boys down at Ulladulla. Um, it was about, just, it was sort of pretty uh, topical at the moment with all the, the racial issues going on around the world. They, they started wearing one black sock, one white sock at Ulladulla High, and they just sort of their silent protest and just talked about how, like, they're both from Egyptian backgrounds and just talk about their upbringing and, and yeah, talked about the racial, um, racial inequalities they've sort of gone through in their life and how they've dealt with it and what they, where they wanted to move to and everything that's going on around the world. So that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, like I think I'm definitely more of a sports writer, but it was good to sort of dabble here and there in other stories. So how did you go really early on when, you know, there was pretty much no sport uh, to cover at all? How was that, that process? Obviously sports come back now, so you've got some more things to talk about, but how was that in the, the early on stages? Yeah, it, it sort of was so ebbing and flowing. Like when it first, everything just shut down so quickly. So that probably that week or two when everything was shutting was just chaos. Like you had to touch base with every sport competition and their administrators and see how it affects them. And then probably between, because you think by the yeah, end of March, start of April, all sports were pretty much said we're off till probably June, July at the earliest. So yeah, probably through April and May, that was, a, that was definitely the slower time. And that's when I really did a couple of profile stories and just chatted to how some of our athletes were dealing with COVID. Like I hit up Adam Federici, 
he's obviously just signed with MacArthur now, but he was over playing for Stoke City in, in England and just talking about how COVID, living with COVID in, the, in England was different to Australia. I spoke to Robbie Maddinson, who's from obviously from Kaima, but he's in, he was in California, just sort of seeing the contrast there. Adam Quinlan from Kalbara, he was in England as well. So just talking to everyone about how our COVID was affecting different people around the world. And, and then, like I mentioned before, speaking to the Olympic athletes who had already qualified or in the process of qualifying for Tokyo this year and like how they were like peaking to be ready for Tokyo this year. And then the disappointment when it got called off. So just talking to them and how they're sort of going to get themselves up again to firstly qualify and then get themselves up and get their body ready for next year. And it was a bit different. Like I was, I was doing probably less stories, but doing more in depth. So instead of doing yeah, your normal length stories, so between your three, your five, 700 words, I was doing yeah long form, more than a thousand, maybe 2000 word stories, really putting plenty of time into it. And it was just a mix up. Like I really enjoyed that change of pace for a bit. Like it was really um, different to what I'm used to. Cause usually you got your Monday, Tuesday, you're doing like match reports and reaction from the weekend. Um, then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you're starting to look forward to the weekend ahead, what's going on. Obviously there's different news that pops up at different points, but yeah, it was a bit different. And I, I really enjoyed it. Like I, it, gave me a chance to practice my profile writing. That's something I really um, like doing, that feature writing. I think it really, you can pull back the curtains a bit and really find out what what makes an athlete tick. Obviously, when you do your podcast, I've done podcasts, I've done the, the wide water sports before, and it gets the viewer, gets the reader, um, it's an opportunity to not just see who's in front of the camera or who's on the phone or who they see on the footy field. So like, oh, where this guy's come from, what he's gone through, um, uh, how she, how she reacts to this, how she reacts to that. Like, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And I think I'm probably a better journalist for it. I think it's a great string to have in your bow moving forward. So journalism is something that's changed, you know, dramatically in the last, you know, many years, but how's it changed in the last sort of six months with COVID? Obviously you're working from home, but has there been much of a, much of a change due to COVID? Yeah, well, since I've been the register, like there was a big transition from, um, obviously, we, we, obviously we work in print, but every year, like there's been big, we call it transcend into more of a digital sphere, um, emphasis on digital. And it was always going to happen, just the way with the internet and everything going on. So, yeah, it's been a gradual. There's obviously like it, it quickens sometimes and slows some other times. But I think, yeah, I think now, like during this lockdown, a lot of our papers stopped circulating for a bit um, until the end of financial year. So websites were the only way people could get their news. And I think our um, editors and people above them, the head honchos, if you will, have sort of said that productivity has gone up across the board because I think people are working in a comfortable environment, there's flexible hours, like I can start working early in the morning and then I'm like, oh, I don't need to do anything for a couple of hours. And then oh, I need to be um, logged into this Zoom chat at two o'clock for a St. George or a Dragons press conference or there's a media availability for the New Zealand Warriors at five o'clock. You just know, you work your way around that schedule. And I think, well, just like from our media point of view, like it's all those teams I speak about, their media, media availability. So no, it's not an in-person press conference anymore. It's, a Zoom chat like we are doing. And I think it's probably going to change it for good. Like, I don't, I think you'll see more and more um, offices not, uh, or workplaces not go back to the office. Like, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, it could go either way, but I think it wouldn't surprise me if we just work from remotely forever. Like, there is pros and cons of having that work office, but I think the way it's shown that, and not just in journalism, I think in all industries that you can work from home and be product um, productive and there's positive impacts to it. And obviously that you miss that social interaction, but we have news meetings every morning that we still like, uh, like spitball, like what stories, stories I'm going to do. Um, how can I approach it? Like is the digital element that I can add to it? Um, but yeah, like I think it has changed it. And, but the way the world's going, like media industry will be completely different in another 12 months. So, <laughs> You just sort of just got to adapt, keep adapting and just try and stay ahead of the curve as best you can. So how have those Zoom press conferences been compared to being there in person? I imagine that'd be something to adapt to. Yeah, there's definitely an adjustment. Like 
at first, like when you go to like, um, for example, the, the Hawks press conferences we've, I've been to over the summer and it's a bit different. Like you sort of just know there's a couple of people and like one person will ask a couple of questions and then like they'll give you like the look then I can ask a couple of questions. And, but in the Zoom chat, like you, they probably try and limit to like 10 minutes and you only probably one or two questions, but there's been some Zoom chats where there's like 20 people trying to get certain questions in there and you've sort of just got to give everyone respect that you're not going to jump over each other in the question. And it was a bit of a different feel. Like it, the first couple, I was like, oh, this is a bit weird. Um, but you, you just adapt. And like for the players, the same thing. Like they were literally just looking at a computer screen waiting for all these heads to ask them questions. So I think I think it wouldn't surprise me if they did this long term. Obviously, there's nothing can really emulate that in-person thing. But if you hold a Zoom chat, and it's just like the Dragons are holding a press conference at Wynn Stadium. It saves all the people from um, Sydney coming down. Or if someone from Brisbane wants to hook in, like anyone can hook in. You get that Zoom code and anyone can hook into that chat that is relevant to. So it obviously, it works in that fashion. There's pros and cons to both. And yeah, I, I've, I, it definitely took some adjusting, but I do like it now. And But now it's sort of transitioned the other way. Like they're having more and more in-person. I know the Dragons lately have, have transitioned back into in-person ones but there's like a clean zone and a dirty zone and you've got to there's all these protocols you've got to go through which is obviously understandable but i think they know the importance of having that um rapport with people like you go there the players know you and especially if you've done chats with them before and done stories with them before they're more willing to open up to you and have you found as a spectator watching these sports without fans yeah like um, well, the NBA, like the, I think the NBA has done a great job with their, yeah, definitely. Um, with their setup. Like, obviously, there's uh, everyone can like zoom into the crowd. I think that's fantastic. This, this, the noise, like, without knowing, you probably think it's um, the fans there anyway. Like, I think it's great. It's sort of got that NCAA tourney feel, um, where it's just game after game, and it's just yeah, it's just nonstop, well, nonstop action. In terms of the other ones, it was a bit weird. Um, like with AFL and NRL, there's obviously those cutouts. It's different because it's an outdoor compared to indoors. They don't have the opportunity to um, create that sound. But one pro that I did like is that you can actually hear like the players interact and what they're saying on the field. You get that um, insight that you wouldn't normally get because obviously the crowd or the commentators. But that's what I really, really enjoyed. But I think the NBA's probably done the best. Like the Premier League did it well. They did um, the same thing with Zoom people in as well. But yeah, like it's, it's obviously weird and it's not going to be forever. Like there's going to be fans back. You look at New Zealand. New Zealand are playing rugby games with fans. Over in um, Perth, the AFL's got 30,000 people. Like it's going to come back. But you just got to do what you do and whatever works. But the, I think the NBA's hit it absolutely on the mark there. Like they've done it fantastically like... It just seems to be working. I think it's only going to get better once the finals kick off. Yeah, you sort of mentioned there. I, I think the NBA has done an amazing job with that whole bubble in Orlando. I mean, especially like there's so many different camera angles now. And I think, and this has been mentioned by a few people before, but because you don't have those, those uh, the press people taking photos and whatnot, players are going harder to the ring. They've got room to to run after they've, you know, contesting a block shot or dunking the ball. So it's a slightly different style of basketball because of that. I've seen a lot of people, though, in the corner stepping out when they've gone to take a, a corner three. So that's an, something the players are going to have to adjust to. Yeah, absolutely. Like, as weird, like as good as it is, it's sort of weird seeing the players sort of sit, like when, when they're on the bench, it looks like they're sort of on a plane in first class because they're like, what, 1.5 metres apart. And then you look at the, um, the commentator's booth there behind the big glass screen from at 1.5 metres away again. Like, there's obviously, that'd be hard to, like, sort of have the interaction on a, on a commentator's call and sitting on your bench so far apart. But if it's going to make it work, obviously, in America, they need to keep kicking these goals. And the NBA's doing it perfectly. Obviously, the MLB's not going very well at all. <laughs> the golf's doing it well right now. But I think the but that, like Adam Silver and all the um, guys that are running the NBA deserve heaps of credit. Unfortunately, like I think they want to kick off the new season, but like um, at the end of this year. But like, how I don't know how that's going to look. Like, you're probably the way it's going. You're probably going to have to make a bubble again. Yeah. But like, how can you make a bubble for a full season? Like, it's obviously easy to convince players say 
you've only got these playing, these seeding games, the playing tournaments, and then it's finals. But how are you going to do it for a whole six months, nine months, no families? Like, it's going to be a hard sell to play. So it's going to be interesting to see once we get through this, the finals for the NBA, how we, how the next season looks. I know they want to get fans back as as quick as possible. Do they play with no fans? But then you've still got the issue of the Knicks traveling across to Golden State. Like, obviously, they're both hotspots, California and um, New York. So it's going to be very interesting. Like, they're obviously America are sort of falling behind, like, in the way that compared to other countries, um, how they're dealing with COVID, um, to put it, put it lightly. But, yeah, it's going to be really um, kudos to the NBA. Now, I want to get to the NBA in a moment, but before we do, I want to jump back to the NBL because you've been covering uh, the Hawks somewhat. What's been your whole take on this whole new ownership? And then, you know, that was the first thing. And then obviously dropping the Illawarra, which, you know, didn't uh, please too many people. Uh, obviously, the Hawks are trying to build something and trying to be more financially stable. But what was your whole take on that? We definitely did not like the fact that they dropped the Illawarra name. Obviously, you and I have been Illawarra Hawks fans from day dot. Like, obviously, I like, I used to be an Illawarra Steelers fan and then I'm now a Parramatta Eels fan. But the one sport that I've always followed, one team I've always followed, regardless, has been the Illawarra Hawks. And it was a bit of a kick in the teeth to ev- not just the Hawks fans, but I think everyone in the Illawarra, they dropped that name. And I know they've come out and said that they don't think it's like it's not going to, the team's not going to leave the Wollongong or Illawarra area, but it's not a good sign that they've dropped the Illawarra name. I think you could have kept the Illawarra name. And I don't think the NBL sort of saw the, the backlash that was going to come because plenty of the sponsors have sort of dropped off because they, they wanted to be associated with an Illawarra team playing in a national stage. And that's just not the case now. I know that they've lost plenty of that. But on the flip side, the pro is like, the, the three owners that we've got between Dory Corriday, obviously Brian Colangelo and Michael Proctor, I think they've shown that they're willing to spend money, which is probably the first time in a, in a long, long time the Hawks are willing to, to sort of spend the money, spend up to the salary cap and willing to go out and get the players that they want. And they, they signal that they mean business by getting Brian Gorgian. You can make an argument, him, Lindsay Gay and Gaze and another shortlist, they're probably the best ever coaches in the NBL. So to get him and that just really showed what we what the Hawks sort of um are gonna mean. Like and since then, like it's been really exciting, I think, the signings. I think I think everyone will come around well you, you probably never come around to the idea of the no Illawarra Hawks. I I don't know how they're going to sort of mend that bridge. Like obviously I'm still a Hawks supporter. Um but I like to see what they think of the plans are. I know that they wanted to sort of make it like a rural New South Wales team and or southeast New South Wales team and try and incorporate Newcastle, the South Coast, Canberra. Um, but there's already been like, I, I, I think both Canberra and Newcastle are both a bit reluctant. And to be honest, I think if the NBL's fair income about becoming, an, uh, becoming more and more of a national sport, I know Tasmania is coming in, not next season, the year after, but... Realistically, Canberra probably deserve their own team. And they got the Canberra Capitals, the women's team, which is going yeah. gangbusters. And yeah, I think that, I, I don't know if they come back in as the Gunners, but I think there's obviously enough quality coming out of Canberra to sort of let on that production line. And I think Canberra's probably a big enough market. You think the winter sports have obviously got the Brumbies and the Raiders. I think, yeah, well, the, the Capitals pretty much have the lion's share of the market. Obviously, they got the, um, the W League team there as well. But I think there's no reason why long-term, a camera couldn't have an NBL team. So I think they've got to worry about consolidating the teams they've got now and then expanding. Not And like, the, like it's going to be a tough sell for the Hawks fans to say, oh, you only get this many home games where we're going to take three games to Newcastle, three games to Canberra, where like it's... It, if you're a Canberra person, do you jump on board and say, like, just go to the... <laughs> you, you don't mind going to the odd game, but do you say, oh, we're going to jump on board. Like, they only got a couple of games here, a couple of games there. It's more of, like, they're trying to spread the, the NBL love. But I think, I think realistically, I, I don't know if Newcastle could support their own team. Obviously, you've got the Jets and the Knights up there. Like, in some of them might be able to support their own team long term. But I think Canberra probably deserves its own team. And I think they really should consolidate the Illawarra market. Like, 
with realistically, if, if it's not for the Illawarra Hawks or the Hawks, whatever you want to call them now, because you've got the Dragons. The Dragons are only 50% of Illawarra team, obviously St. George, St. George and the other. And, and then the Wollongong Wolves are sniffing around the A-League as well. But without the Hawks, we don't really have a full um, national sports team in a str- oh, um, from the region. So I think that's what upset people most. Obviously, there was backlash when the Steelers joined with St. George. But I think that's probably what has hurt fans of the Illawarra the most. Yeah, bringing in Gorgian, as you mentioned there, it's obviously going to be many different faces from, you know, assistant coaches and, you know, uh, trainers and, and whatnot. You know, you're very tapped in. You've got your sources. Have, have you heard, you know, what's going to be happening to the likes of, you know, Matt Flynn, um, Eric Cooks, you know, these guys that have been there for years um, that, you know, are now sort of, I guess, either you know, out of a job or, you know, might find a, a position elsewhere? Well, from what I'm hearing, um, yeah, like I don't, I think Flynn's probably on the outer, unfortunately, for Matt Flynn. Like he did a commendable job last year with all the turmoil. Obviously, the injuries to Brooks and Lamello definitely hurt them. Um, yeah, the, Eric Cooks, Eric Cooks has been there for 23 years, obviously, as a player, um, as a captain, as a coach, assistant coach. So he's held every role there. So yeah. have, yeah, he, he hasn't been announced as anything yet. Um, he has a relationship with Gorgian, so it wouldn't surprise me if he is involved in some capacity. But at this stage, nothing's been announced there either. And you look at the roster, like the roster's sort of getting made up quickly. And there's, apart from the younger guys, obviously Sam Froling, Greta, who's injured, who's re-signed, and Nah, everyone else is new. Like there's still like unsure, like what's going to happen to AJ Ogilvy. I know Timmy Conrad's still out there, and from what I'm hearing, they're probably not in the plans either of those two. Um, at this stage, things can obviously change with COVID and injuries and stuff. But yeah, it's going to be a completely new team, which is probably what you needed. Like we obviously ran dead last last year and needed a bit of a um, a boost considering that like Brooks and Lamello were the two best players on our team last year and obviously that they're both gone. So we really just needed a bit of a refresh and... It is exciting for the Hawks. Like we're like, I think every team's gotten better, but the team's taken really, really um, good shape, and they've got nine players now. We've probably still got um, another spot for an import, which I'm hearing is probably going to be another guard, probably a defensive-minded guard to play alongside your Tyler Harvey, who's obviously the left-handed shooter import, and then probably Dengar Dell is probably a starting three, and he's played in the NBA before, like with yeah. Brooklyn last year so he, he comes across um with huge potential and he's probably you know, the biggest signing across any of the nbl clubs realistically i think he's a bona fide superstar so it's going to be interesting to see how all the dominoes fall there and there's obviously talk about the next what we could use our next star spot there but yeah i think we're progressing well you're probably harvey's probably your one with nara as your backup um deng deng is probably one of your fours and so Max Darling, Cam Bairstow is a huge signing, yeah. obviously. Played with the Chicago Bulls a couple of years ago. Um, I believe he's over in Europe last year after the right. stint with the Brisbane Bullets. So he, he'll, he'll be in the five position. Isaac White looks like a really solid shooter. He'll probably be the backup to um, Greta will probably be the backup three to Dang Adele once he comes back from his knee, which will probably be at the earliest January, probably later than that. Like he, he tore his ACL. Um, training over in, with um, his Perth um, basketball side just after the season was finished. So you think you do the math, the nine months minimum, he's probably going to be back, yeah, late January, early February at the earliest. So, yeah, the team's coming together well, I think. So, yeah, Dengadel, Max Darling is your, your two fours. Um, Froling's probably your backup five. So, and then you, you slot in that, that other um, import of the two and you're pretty dangerous. Like, looking at... Um, the footage of Harvey, like, yeah, he yeah, looks good. I think really good. Like, he's obviously just got a license to shoot. That left hand can score, can shoot, but yeah, um, can create, can um, pass as well. So he, he looks really, really exciting. So yeah, I, I think it's really good signs for the Hawks. Obviously, they're looking at starting in December. That might change. Obviously, with Melbourne United having pretty much their whole team <laughs> tested positive to COVID, that's so. going to be tough, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, like, I don't know what's happened there. Like, how are they training? And then you think the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix is probably in a similar predicament. Um, 
And then there's players from other clubs who are in Melbourne still as well. So that's going to hamper how much they can train. So I, it wouldn't surprise me to see things pushed back a bit, especially with everything else that's going on. But yeah, I, I'm really excited about the roster of you. Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, you, you summed it up pretty well Well, then. I think, uh, you know, having Gorgian alone is going to bring players in, which it's done. You know, I don't think we'd get the likes of Besto or Dengadel without someone like Gorgian being involved. You know, they're two players, you know, as you mentioned, they've both played in the NBA there. Um, and, you know, we're starting to fill out our roster with some, roster with some nice uh, pieces there. You know, obviously, we need a few more players to fill that team. But right now on paper, it looks pretty good. You know, you got to wait to see what the rest of the league does. Uh, you know, Sydney are looking like they'll be pretty strong. Um, you know, the Melbourne teams, they're always pretty, pretty strong there as well. But, you know, like I said, Gorgian there, he's, he's really someone who I'm excited to see back in the NBL because, you know, he's, he's probably the best coach to ever, you know, grace the NBL, you know, I would think. Um, yeah, definitely. He's, he's just a flat out, out and winner. And, I heard him say on um, an interview not too long ago that like, the best thing was considering that he can't go over and scout players. He's got people in Europe and America who's talking to, but to complete, like this roster was completely null and void because of the change of the ownership. And to build it up to, from, to what they have now, considering that they obviously lost some players, like Glover went to, um, he went to Sydney and um, probably Blanchfield went across to Perth and obviously Sunday Desh went to Adelaide. So you lose those players. You know, on the back foot, and everyone's like, oh, how, how are we going to recover? But And not, not scouting anyone. They haven't stolen. Like, none of the players we've signed have come from other NBL clubs. Like, everyone mm. we've signed has come either from Europe, college, or America. Like, it's really, really impressive. Um, obviously, Dang Dang's the one we could... He's played in the NBL before recently, but um, we haven't really taken anyone from anyone else. So, I think we've... Considering the circumstances, put together a really exciting roster, and especially if you chuck in another importer that too, um, alongside Harvey and Ding Adele, yeah, I think it's a very potent backcourt, especially and then Bearstow up front. Like I think Bearstow, if he can get himself fit, which he did in Europe, obviously he struggled in Brisbane with some injuries. I think he's, he's easily one of the best bigs in the comp, especially the Nick Cave left Perth. Like it's, yeah, I think he's, um, he's he's very very exciting. So I yeah. I'm really excited to see what happens with the Hawks this year. If you had to make a really, really early prediction, which is, you know, very early, as I mentioned, where would you sort of say the Hawks would, you know, finish with this current roster? I'm obviously optimistic. I think just looking at the rosters, obviously you can never discount Perth. Like Perth's probably still the benchmark. And then your Sydney and your Melbourne, those three always seem to just roll out fantastic sides. Um, but yeah, like I think we could definitely be in the mix with the four. Just sort of to see, it depends on how we sort of um, gel together, how quickly Greta comes back. But yeah, I think Gorgian going in will think nothing but finals is acceptable. So I think, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we finish in that three to four range. Like I think it might take a while to adjust. Could you think of those teams I mentioned? Perth, like Perth have pretty much returned most of their roster from last year. Look at mm. um, Norton, Wagstaff, Steindl, um, Cotton, all played together last year. So, and you had Blanchfield in there. Um, they got Madrock Madrock still there as well. So, they've got plenty of guys who have played together there. Obviously, with Sydney. Um, I know Lish has gone there, but like Xavier Cooks is still there. And I think he's just going to show exactly what his, um, his true potential. Like he was in the Boomer squad. Yeah. Um, less than two years ago to go to the world champs and obviously uh, hurt his knee, which was super unfortunate. But I think he's going to show why he's one of the best young wings Australia's got right now. And you put him, obviously, Will Weaver's a great coach there. You've got Newley. Um, Sean Bruce is still good. I think Glover, like, that's the one that really hurt when we lost him. I thought he's an Illawarra boy like you and I. He grew up wanting to play for the Hawks. And for him to sign the, for the arch rival Sydney after he could have been, like he could have been like a future of the Hawks. Like he was really, really coming on. I know he's had his knee troubles and he got all the potential in the world, but for him to leave, which is super disappointing. And uh, good luck to him. Like he took on a big three-year deal with the Kings. Um, didn't know what was going on with the Hawks. Um, yeah, he, he, he couldn't turn the back on the deal. But I thought it was, it was a bit of a kick in the teeth as well to see Glover leave. Um, no reflection on him, probably just on the reflection on the Hawks. Like if I'm the Hawks, run the Hawks, he's one you just want to keep. So 
And then United, any team with Chris Golding in it, like he's just a bona fide superstar. Yeah. So I like him. I really like Mitch McCarron as well. And Casey Prather's there as well. So that's your one, two, three. They've re-signed, well, they've signed Jack White from Duke. Um, he was a superstar coming through the junior ranks, played over at Duke for four years. David Barlow's still there as well. So I still think, I mean, Ben Vickerman's one of the best coaches as well. So they're probably the three teams and I'll chuck us in that mix as well. I know every other team seems to improve, but Gorgian did not sign on to um, <laughs> play for a rebuilding team. And like you said, like we've gone out and showed that we mean business in the 2021 season. So I think anything but finals will be deemed as a bit of a failure for the Hawks. Yeah, and earlier on you mentioned Lamelo Ball there, who played for the Hawks last year. He's obviously going to enter the draft soon. What do you think about his potential? You know, he played well in the NBL last year. Obviously, going to the NBA, it's, it's a whole other league and, a, and a, a huge step up. How do you think his game's going to translate to the NBA? Yeah, like, obviously, it was great to watch him. He lit it up for the Hawks in a couple of games. But there's obviously some red flags that I see for him. I just don't know. Like, his shooting's got to improve a lot. Like, yeah. obviously, fantastic feel for the game. At six foot eight for point guard, he is massive he's long um his, his passing is just phenomenal his, his court vision is oh fantastic probably even better than his brother his brother um lonzo has great vision and i think lamella could even be better because he's just a little bit taller um but he's definitely got to work on his shooting like he can't just be a, a zero on the, with shooting like you see what's happened with rondo now like teams just sort of fade off him so and he's definitely got to improve his defense i think he he gets a bit um, lazy on the defensive end. I think he try and go to the steals too often in that highlight play. And with his length, there's no reason why he can't be a long, um, a lockdown defender and get just get low. There's a couple of times we were watching the game last year. And I was chatting with Shane Hill because he was on the media bench next to us, and we're both just like, "You watch the Mella. He ball watches a bit and doesn't always stay in his stance. Like he's got all the defensive tools, but I think he's just got to stay engaged the whole time. Like." He's, he's going to be a top five pick. I think he's oozing with potential. Um, but if I was a general manager, I would probably not draft him. That's just <laughs> me. I just think, I just think, um, and then you've got the deal with his dad. Like I just, I just yeah. don't know if I want to deal with his dad. Obviously that was a bit of an issue with Lonzo coming into the Lakers. So you just, I just don't know if I want that. There's obviously the Knicks have come out and said they want him. Um, yeah, but I just think there's better prospects. Like, I know the centers are getting um, phased out of the NBA, but that James Wiseman mm. out of Memphis, I know he only played half a year, but he looks fantastic. And I think in the right setting, like, he can look great. Like, obviously, the sun, like, the bigs are sort of getting phased out. But you look at the NBA right now. Nurkic on my blazers is Keanu. Jokic is obviously great. Um Anthony Davis, I know Carl Anthony Towns isn't in the bubble, but he's fantastic. I think Wiseman's got that kind of potential. I do like Anthony Edwards out of Georgia. He's probably the one that I like the most. Six five two three can score, can shoot, real slasher. I think he's probably the one that I would take number one. Him or Wiseman are probably the two best prospects, and I think I'd probably prefer to take them over Lamelo, but. Each to their own. Like Lamella could prove me wrong, but I just I there's I think there's probably enough red flags with Lamella already now, and he hasn't played in the NBA to um sort of yeah turn me off signing oh drafting him. Like, what's your read on Lamella? Yeah, much the same as you. Like watching him live was quite impressive. You know what I really liked about him was just his composure and his handling with the ball. Like I I haven't seen someone in person with such a tidy handle. Uh, like him, he had that ball on a string. Um, as Absolutely. you mentioned, he had amazing court vision, um, but he really did lack that shot. And, you know, that hurt hurt the Hawks somewhat. He, he couldn't really shoot. He had a few games where he caught fire. You know, he had that big game where we won in overtime. But that was something that let him down. And the NBA, you know, that's the way it's going this, these days. You know, mm. you need a shot. Like you mentioned, Rondo there, you know, players playing off him. And you look at someone like Ben Simmons now, and, you know, well, it's probably a better shooter than Ben Simmons. But, yeah. you know, it's like a psychological thing now. You know, he, he doesn't even want to shoot a three. And, you know, teams dare him to shoot a three. And that really takes away from a player that he could potentially be because, you know, he's got everything else, but he just can't shoot. So I think that's something that's going to hurt him. 
but it's one of those things he has the potential to you know be great but will he and you know you look at Lonzo who's now playing for the Pelicans he had that potential you know top pick but he sort of hasn't reached yet obviously still early days but he's kind of just a good role player at the moment yeah Um, yeah he's playing with a young team so who knows give him a few years and you know with that Pelicans team there but yeah I'm I'm a bit in the same camp as you there I don't don't sort of know I'm not sure he's someone you'd pick number one but um yeah I guess we'll see who has the the number one pick obviously the Knicks there said they're interested you know who knows he could go to Golden State and uh back up the likes of Steph and um, you know, Steph could teach him how to shoot a J. So, yeah. His, mecha- his mechanics aren't great, which is the, probably the sign, which is, mm. which hurt Lonzo as well. Like, he really, like, shoots from, like, his hip. Yeah. Uh, he, he, might have to, he definitely has to change that. Um, but, like, what's the feeling of Lamelo? Like, you talk about Lonzo. Like, everyone said he's going to be a transcendent talent with his full-court passing. And don't get me wrong. Lonzo's passes to, like, Zion oh, are yeah. fantastic. Amazing. Um, I'm not discrediting that, but like, what's the what's the ceiling for Lamelo? Like, with all those limitations, like starter, like he could probably could be an all star. Like, if he if he leads the league in assists, but he really needs to get the shot, his defense, um, to a certain level. Yeah, I I agree. And you mentioned your Blazers uh, earlier on there. They're looking good in the bubble so far. Mm. Looking like they might sneak into that that eight there. Well, it's, it's funny because everyone sort of penciled in Memphis are going to get eight and then everyone else is battling for that nine like they saw Portland, Phoenix, Spurs, uh, Sacramento and the Pelicans all battling for that one spot. But yeah, it looks like now that Memphis is just going to completely drop out of the race. Like yeah. they have just, they are struggling. Um, obviously, the, the injury to Jaron Jackson really hurts. But yeah, like they've got plenty of pieces. I do like Memphis moving forward. Like, not, maybe not so much now, but with Brandon Clark, Jar Morant, and um, yeah, Jaron Jackson Jr., I really like that young core. I like Justice Winslow as well. He's another guy who obviously can't shoot, but they've lost all four of their games in the bubble, and they've yeah. still got Oklahoma, Toronto, Boston, and Milwaukee to go. So, that realistically, they're probably going to, I could see them going 0 and 4. They're going to go 0 and 8. So they're out of the playoffs. And yeah. yeah. The Blazers had another good win today. We've only dropped that game against. Boston where we came back from 26 down to um, get right back in it and we since like well, obviously we beat Memphis in overtime the first game lost to Celtics beat Houston the other day and then beat the Nuggets who obviously got no guards now but yeah like um, Lillard is just otherworldly right now obviously, I've, <laughs> 45 I've today he had 45 tw- 4 and 12 today and yeah like I just think the what uh, he's doing is just amazing. Like it's just incredible what he's doing with the um, with the team. And like I think we're really starting to see like the, the potential of the Blazers. Obviously, Nurkic missed all the year until now. Collins missed all I think but six games. So you got those two back. I'd love to see us if Ariza came. Obviously, Ariza's not in the bubble, and that would have given us a, a defensive stop on the wing. But Gary Trent Jr. has been a revelation. Yeah, like, he's been great. Um, He's been great. Like, I, I saw a statistic that um, with Lillo McCullum and him on the floor, they got a plus 19.3 net rating in the 74 minutes on Orlando. Like, a bit small, the team, because Gary Trent's only 6'5 at the three, but he is just lighting it up. Like, he lit up, um, he lit up the Nuggets today. But, yeah, like, looking at, like, the, the Blazers have still got, like, we, we play the Clippers next and then Philly, Dallas, and Brooklyn, like, the Clippers are super, super tough, and I still think they might they tip to take it all out. Yeah, same. Philadelphia without Ben Simmons is a very winnable game, and then Dallas is very winnable in Brooklyn. I think you just need to keep winning. Like looking at like the standings, it's just you really need to get in that eight seed. And I think probably the way that it's going, like the Phoenix haven't Phoenix haven't lost a game in the bubble, mm. so therefore and all that four and zero they beat Washington, Dallas, the Clips, and Indy, but. They've got to play Miami, OKC, Philly, and then Dallas again. Like they've got a tough schedule just to sort of keep in the keep in the hunt. But yeah, I think Memphis will drop out, and then you'll probably like Spurs are playing good, so are the Kings. But I think it'll be Portland and Phoenix playing in that um that playing tournament, and then but 
as, as, as confident and as excited I am that the Portland are in the hunt for the playoffs, like the prize is that you get to play the Lakers in the first round. Like it's just good. It's like sweet. We get to play for four to seven games, LeBron and Anthony Davis, like two top five players. And as good as Dame is, like you can make an argument that Dame's the most dangerous guard in the league right now with like his mm. Curry's obviously not there. Um, like Luke is fantastic. James Harden's there as well. Like he's just, He's, he's an offense in himself, but the way Dane's playing, like, I don't know if I'd prefer to, if there's any other guard I'd prefer to have on my team right now. So um, it, he'll, he'll probably nearly win us a game or hopefully two in that, in that if they if get that far against the Lakers. But yeah, I think it, it's, it's a great building block. You think CJ and Dane's a great building block as the one, two, Trench having a bit of a coming out party. Nurkic at the five, Zach Collins at the four, and then we just figure out with the three. Like Mello's, Mello's doing really well. Skinny like, Mello. Yeah, oh, it is skinny Mello. I was a bit skeptical <laughs> when we signed him. I thought his last couple of years in the league were a little bit down on Mello's standards since he left New York. Obviously, OKC and the Rockets. So, but yeah, he's really come to, really motivated. Obviously, that time out of the league really showed that um, how much he wants it and how much he wants to stay in the league as long as possible. And with Ariza and other pieces there, like I like um, I, I finally saw, um, Ant Simon as well. Like I think he's going to be really good in the future as well. But um, yeah, oh, we're, we're playing really good basketball at the moment. Like Nurk is just showing how good he can really be. Like he's just um, beasting people. Yeah. What about the East? Who do you like? Obviously the Bucks are, are the favorites yeah. coming out of the East there, but who else do you like? Yeah, I think like the Bucks are playing really, really well, and I thought I think everyone sort of thought it's the Bucks, and then there's a couple of teams in that next mix. But geez, the way the Raptors are playing, like yeah. they've won all they've won all their games in the bubble. They're three zero, and they've actually got a, they're on a seven game win streak, which doesn't mean too much because they it extends back to March. But they've just got such a good um, balance across the board, and I think the fact that because they've been down in Orlando for, for longer than everyone else because they had to go to training camp down there. Like, yeah, I just think, obviously, I, I would think Nick Nurse is probably coach of the year. Like, mm. I think the way that he sort of... You lose Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, who <laughs> you're starting two and three, and they're still... They're second in the East. Like, they're, they're right in the mix there. Like, they're only... They, they can't catch the Bucks, but they're five games back there. But Van Fleet, Lowry, um, Ananobi's great, and you've got Abaka and Gasol, the, four, uh, the fives, and Pascal Siakam. He's been fantastic in the bubble, and he's really just continued his season. Like, they've been super impressive. And yeah, like, you just look at the standings now. Like, if, they, if it's finished now, like, Philadelphia without Ben Simmons, it's looking like he's going to miss some time. So, you have to think without them, unless MB just goes beast, um, they're probably cooked this year. and I think they'd probably end up in the top four, Milwaukee, Raptors, Celtics, Heat, which is the top four now. I just can't see the paces without Sabonis upsetting anyone. And I really do like the Heat. Like, I think they've got some good pieces yeah. there. Jimmy Butler hasn't played last couple of games, but he'll be back. Um, I really like Bam Adebayo. I think he's great. And I really like the swagger Tyler Hero. I know he's a rookie, mm-hmm. but I think he, he could be like a... Um, a mini sort of JJ Reddick, Clay Thompson type. Like I think he's got that that heater. Like I think he's just got no conscience, and I think in a couple of years he's going to really be a great asset for the Heat. Like I like them, and as good as the Raptors are, like it'll a lot will depend on because I know that Gordon Hayward's going to have to leave for the birth of his child. It depends when that falls. Like that could yeah. be really unfortunate for Boston. They they lack a big. Like that's their weakness, and obviously Kemba's knee is an issue as well. But Tell you what, between Marcus Smart and the two wings, Brown and Tatum, like the latter two have just been amazing, and they've really taken their game to another level. And there'll be a chance against the Raptors. Like I think that two versus three uh, Eastern semi between the Raptors and Celtics would be super exciting. And that wouldn't surprise me because that goes six and seven. But the winner of that will have to take on the Bucks. Like, but yeah, the way that Giannis is playing. Um, I, I, the Bucks have well deserved number one, um, and they'll probably come out of the East. But like, I don't know if they're unbeatable. Like, if you don't have um, Giannis on the floor, like he's obviously not—he's only playing low thirties at the moment. But you pick it up to—you have to think high thirties or forty minutes a game during the playoffs. But 
Brooke Lopez is going to get his shot going. Chris Middleton is an out-and-out killer. I like him. Um, but regularly, Eric Bledslow has gone missing in the playoffs. Like mm. He went missing la- last year, and they got bundled out by the Raptors. They um, don't have Brogdon you know, anymore. Got... So he, he yeah, was a piece the... who they could really rely on when Giannis was either on the bench or he couldn't get going. 100%, 100%. Like, I, I know they didn't match the offer. I would have probably preferred to keep Brogdon over Bledslow. Mm. Um, I know that some people would disagree with that. I just think he offers more and is more consistent across the board. Like, don't get me wrong, Bledslow's had a great year and he's been fantastic since he's come across him from Phoenix. But... He, he's regularly gone missing in big moments. And I think Brogdon would have been better for that side. Um, yeah, like I, I really, like I think they do have the pieces to go all the way. Like, um, yeah, I just don't know. Like, what are your, what's your reading on the eight? Yeah, similar to yours. Look, I'm, I'm still pretty high on the Bucks. Um, last year still worries me. Um, if I'm a Bucks fan, I have nightmares of that series against the Raptors where they just couldn't get a bucket in that fourth quarter. You know, when Giannis was just penetrating towards the rim, you just couldn't get going. They sort of still don't have that player. To, obviously, you've got Middleton there, but he's not someone who is really a shot creator. You know, he, he's someone that you can rely on to come up with a big shot. But if Giannis isn't going, isn't, isn't going and you know, isn't putting up those um, big numbers late games, I think they could struggle a little bit. I think the Raptors... They're still, they've been super impressive. As, as you mentioned it earlier, losing Kawhi and Danny Green, you know, two of their better players last year hurt them. But Carl Lowry, he stepped it up, especially, you know, coming into this bubble. He's, you know, playing, he's probably one of the best players in the bubble thus far. Mm. Uh, and then Siakam's taken another step to really be a superstar rather than, you know, being an all-star or, you know, just a, a, a good role player um, when Kawhi was there. So I think it's between the two of them. I'm not sold on Boston um, just because of, you know, some injuries there. And Philly, no much big. the same. Is, is the no, the Boston, if, imagine if Boston had like a decent big, I don't know, I don't know who you trade because everyone was saying trade market smart, but he's the heartbeat of that side. Like, I don't know how you, where you go with that, like their best lineup is just playing small and yeah. just playing Tatum at your, I guess at your five and just going Houston, just going Kemba, Smart, yeah. Haywood, Brown and Tatum, just just rolling out there because everyone can shoot, everyone can penetrate, but you need to, you need to be a body there and they probably thought Ennis Kanner, Daniel Tice go okay, but they really need another solid piece. And I think for them to beat Milwaukee or Toronto in a seven game series, they're going to get hurt on the boards there. I think that was the that was the thought against Philly as well with Joe LMB. But without Simmons, I just can't see how they can consistently beat them because Tobias Harris is going. He's fine. Like he's he's up and down. Jo- Josh Richardson. Like I really like him at Miami, but mm. he's going to be disappointing this year. And a rough year. Yeah, like and obviously like the Al Horford. Like I think the money they spent on Al Horford could have been spent a lot better. Like last year, you think. Philadelphia had both Shamit and JJ Redick as shooters, which complemented their non-shooters really well. Um, and obviously, had Jimmy Butler. But then they went out and spent more than $100 million on Horford, where you already had Simmons' best position is probably point forward. Uh, you've got Tobias is a three, four, probably a four. Embiid's a five. Horford's a five that can play four. Like, I would have rather that money been spent on a, a point guard that can shoot. I know they're, it's all good in hindsight and trying to find someone to fit that role. But I think um, Even losing they wanted JJ to go to the Jumbo lineup. A big loss for them. Oh, sorry? Even losing JJ Redick was a big loss for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Like, they just need shooters. Like, you think they lost all their shooting and outside. Like, JJ, obviously, he's, he's getting along in the tooth and he's a bit of a defensive liability. But he, he atten- uh, attracts attention. Like, he, and he creates space by moving and moving. So... Yeah, I think he was a big loss. I'm surprised they didn't re-sign him, to be honest. And he's doing really well down for the Pelicans. Um, but I would have preferred that Horford money going elsewhere. And considering that they they tanked for so long, like the, the trust the process um, business, to come out of that with only really Ben Simmons and, and B, you think they they whiffed on Jahil Okafor, um, Merlin's Noel sort of gone. And then realistically, they traded a pick and fault for Tatum. Um, 
and realistically, imagine Tatum on that side. Yeah. Like, it'd just be amazing as well, the pick. So, yes, Philadelphia is good and like they've got a good core, but I just think for the for the low they had and how they had they were for so long, the team could be so much better if they just managed it a little bit better. So, you've still got the Clippers winning it all? Yeah, I, 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 since they um, acquired Paul George and Kawhi, I just thought, geez, that is just, and you, you saw how important wing, um, wing offensive threats, but also defense was last year in the playoffs. So Kawhi was just, and it, when it, the game slows down a bit, and I just think those two are the one-two punch. And you saw, I know the Lakers beat the Clippers on the uh, opening day of the restart, but in that game, there was no Montrose Harrell and no Lou Will. And that they are just key parts to that bench unit, which is probably the best bench unit in the um, in the league. So, and you can, they've got so much uh, flexibility. Like you talk about, we mentioned Shamit. I'm a big fan of Shamit. I think Shamit's going to be really good. Like Pat Bev's their starting point guard. Obviously, he's got a calf issue right now, but I really, really like him. And he is hungry and I think he's great. Um, and then they're big. Like Zubats is really, um, really good. I, Marcus Morris gives them another look. They can play a bit small. They want to chuck him at centre and then just roll out like George with um, Pat Bev, Lou Will and Kawhi. Like that's a really long and switchy lineup. But they've just got depth across the board. Like I think Jermichael Green's on that roster as well. But if you look at the Lakers, I think the fact that no Avery Bradley there is, uh, I think they're probably underselling how big of a loss he is. Like he was, he was a technically starting point guard. We know LeBron is the point guard, but he he would mark the opposition point guard. So you think in, in round one of everything, if, like, if the Blazers keep winning, he's going to be marking, well, he would have been marking Dame Lillard or CJ McCollum. So yeah, you just, I think they're going to miss Avery Bradley. Like I think you, you look in the, the other matchups they're playing against, like if they come up against like in four or five, that means they play against Houston. Like Bradley could have marked your Harden or your Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Um, with, without him, they're like, I don't mind Alec Caruso. He's fine. Um, KCP's, I think he's fine as well. But it puts a lot of pressure on LeBron and Anthony Davis. And don't get me wrong, that's a fantastic duo, the best duo in the league. But they've brought in J.R. Smith, Dion Waiters. I'm not a huge fan of either of those two. <laughs> Markeith Morris is probably the, the worst of the two Morris twins. Um, Kyle Kuzma is hot and cold. They get good minutes out of obviously JaVale and Dwight, but I just think the, the Clippers' depth is just fantastic. Um, and I think in a seven-game series, I'd, I'd back them. I do think it's going to be LA, LA in the Western Conference mm-hmm. Finals. I think in seven games, that outlast them. Like, yeah, Denver's probably going to end up in the third spot. I know they've just got a little lead on Houston right now. Like, the Jazz are probably going to be and they're going to struggle with that Bogdanovich. I think that really, really hurts them on both sides of the ball. Oklahoma's probably playing a bit above themselves. I, re- I do like their three guys at guard line with SGA, Paul, and Schroeder, Gallo, and Adams. But apart from that five, they don't really have much, especially on the wings. Dallas is just super exciting. You look at, like, if you talk about best young duos in the league, Jarmo oh, yeah. and Darren Jackson are very exciting. But Chris Jackson, Luca, like Luca Doncic is just, incredible and they they stuck it to the Clippers today like they just um yeah like they only lost by 15 today but it was back and forth back and forth and considering that Dwight Powell's out the the starting center I think they could make some noise I know they're going to probably play the Clippers round one which is uh yeah pretty much locked in now so I think it's LA LA but I think yeah Clippers get out of the west which is going to be an absolute like arms race and then I'd say Bucks Clippers and then yeah I, well, to be honest whoever comes out of the West I think it's still a count for Milwaukee in seven games especially without the home court yeah I'm in the same camp as you I'm I'm going Clippers to win it all there and you know you mentioned most of the same reasons there but I just think they've got more depth and more depth that you can play in a game seven late in games you know in the in the playoffs and especially in you know finals a lot of teams only play you know six seven players um, yep. you know, stretching out to the eight if you've got a really deep team. And the Clippers do have that deep team. You know, if someone's not not hot, they can go to another guy. Um, they've mm. got defensive players who they can throw out there. Obviously, I think the toughest part for them against the Lakers will be defending Anthony Davis. That's someone who they'll, they'll struggle with. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I still think they've got that bit more depth um, when it comes to those um, finals games and, you know, the Western Conference finals and whatnot. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, yep. I'll go Clippers as well. Uh, so, something I wanted to talk to you about before you go, I have to celebrate with you a little bit. Our beloved Arsenal have finally won something. Uh, we've won yeah. the FA Cup. It's been a bit of a rough journey for us as Gooners lately. How pumped are you after winning that FA Cup last weekend? Yeah, well, to be honest, like since Bob Nikolak had has come over from, I mean, he's replaced Emery, it's sort of been pretty exciting. I think he's the right man for the job. And yeah, I think like it's, it's sort of been on the upward trajectory, like being knocked out early by the, um, in the Europa was not ideal. And where we finished right now, I think when we finished eighth was the lowest since 95, where we finished 10th. So in terms of the Premier League, not not a great um, finish, but winning that, that FA Cup final was so, so important for us because obviously it books our place in Europe and that's probably the most. Obviously, the, winning the silverware is great. And we've won it We've won it like three or four times now in the last decade. It seems to be the only trophy that we can win. But, yeah, it's, booking our spot in Europe for Europa, I know it's not the Champions League, but it's super important because, A, you get the the financial um, backing from it, especially in this COVID um, society right now. But you're going to track players saying, hey, we're going to play um, Europa. And honestly, if we didn't win that year FA Cup, um, you're not playing any Europe next year. And unfortunately, I probably think that we, we probably lose a Bamiyang, who was obviously the star mm. of the um, FA Cup final. He obviously kicked the first penalty, but that second goal he scored just showed absolute world, world class. He just shows why he's, a top five striker in the world and we really, really need to extend him. I know he's still got a contract for next year, but we really need to extend that deal. Um, and I read up today that they think a, a new three-year deal is in the works and if we can extend him next to Lacazette, Pepe's coming on and like, I think we've got some good pieces. Like I, I, I do like a lot of our, um, our squad. Like, um, Really, the, the injury to Leno sort of hurt, but the way that Martinez has stepped yeah. up in goals has been fantastic. Defense is still the issue. Like, I really am a big fan of Kieran Tierney and obviously Hector Bellerin as our two wing backs. Salaba comes to the club on um, with huge wraps, the young centre back. Mm. Um, I, re- I still like I like holding and I like um, Callum Chambers, but the the rest of the centre backs leave a lot to be desired. Let's just say that. Um, but there's other people like I like Ash, Ainsley May Niles. He's really come on. But we need we we need to buy another centre back, which we've been uh, looks like we're linked to. And more than anything, we need like that defensive um, midfielder, that that midfield bull, like that can play next to a Jacker. Like I don't know where Torreira fits into the mix. Mm. It looks like Ganduzi's days are numbered at the club. <laughs> um, but if we can f- cash in on him um, and cash in on players like Mkhitaryan as well and maybe Ozil, get some money, maybe buy that Thomas Party from Atletico mm. Madrid who we're linked to, he, he would add, he would just revolutionise that middle of the park. Like we need someone like that Patrick Vieira from when we, the Invincibles days where he was just game in, game out, the best player in the field, dominates the midfield and and lays the platform for our forwards. Like, our forwards are fine. Like, you run through the depth there. Like, Saka's had a breakout season there. Obviously, Martellini's a superstar of the future. Pepe, I like Reese Nielsen. Um, Eddie Nectica, I can never pronounce his name right, Eddie. Um, <laughs> he, he's great up forward. But then you got got, and Lacquer and Orba, like, those two. Like, we've got plenty of forward options, but we just really struggled. Obviously, our defence has really struggled. But, yeah, in the middle of the park. So, if we can strengthen there and I think we can now with a bit of money from the Europa I went for an FA Cup win um, but yeah it was, it was fantastic waking up like I tried to get up um, and watch it 2.30 is a bit early for me um, to get up and watch but yeah to beat Chelsea anytime especially in a final is fantastic I mean, what was your read on the game? Yeah I was pumped uh, you know especially after losing that Europa League final last year against Chelsea then to come yeah. back and play them in the FA Cup and beat them was, you know, the last game of the season as well, or our last game of the season. Obviously, Chelsea have got to play in Champions League. But, you know, it, it, was, it was a great way to finish the year. And like you said, we need Europe if we're going to keep the likes of Aubameyang. Like, it sounds like he's going to sign with us now, which 
is very exciting and is much needed. But yep. I don't know if he signs with us if we lose that game and we don't have Europe at all. I think that's good. that's a pretty tough sell uh, there. Um, so it, it, was a, it was a great game. I was very nervous early on after you we went down 1-0 yep. there. Um, but after Orba slotted that penalty, um, you know, I was right back into the game thinking that it's a very winnable game for us. And it was nice to beat Giroud. Um, you know, I, I loved him as an Arsenal <laughs> player, but I just, I can't handle seeing him in, in that blue jersey there for Chelsea. No. Uh, but like you said, we obviously, if we want to become a, you know, top four team again and want to get back into that Champions League, we need to bring in some big names and that needs to be a centre-back and, you know, defensive midfield player like party that, w- that we've been linked to. Uh, what do you think about these talks of, you know, bringing in the likes of Willian? I think Willian will be good. Like, obviously, it'll be a free transfer. And I think the reason that we're probably looking like we're going to get him is we offered him a three-year deal. And he can add just experience to that, like, that forward line I sort of talked about. But he can also play in the middle a little bit. And yeah, I think, like, obviously, you've got Auburn and Lacazette our experience there but I think he'll be a great mentor for some of those younger guys even like someone like Pepe is only 25 so he really it's taken a while to sort of acclimatise to um, the Premier League and I think I think he could be a real asset to the club there's other players we're linked to as well like Coutinho we're linked to as well and I think he could really um, in the middle of the park really be that that number 10 if you will to sort of orchestrate everything that's going on um, both could be great assets but I think we've really got to make sure we get at least a, a like world class is probably asking a, a, a lot, but a, a very very good defensive midfielder and uh, centre back. But especially with funds being tight, I think the fact that we can get William on a free is a great step um, in the right direction. And yeah, I think Arteta is the right man for the job. Like he's really showing that he um, he understands what Arsenal's about. Like Emery came in and I, he was fine. He I don't know if we, how we um. Do you change the culture too much? Do you change the style of play too much? And to be fair, whoever came in after Wenger was up against yeah. it. Like, Wenger had been there for so long. Um, and everyone, it was just getting hard to compare. And Emery had bounced around a bit. Obviously, he's um, won a couple of Europas, coached at PSG. Um, but, yeah, I think Mikel Arteta, obviously, learned off Pep Guardiola at Man City. I think he's... He's obviously young, but I think he's got a great, great football brain. He's learned from the best in the business. Like you say, Guardiola is probably him or Klopp are right up there with the best coaches or managers in world football right now. So, yeah, I think he's the right job. He understands what it means to be part of the Arsenal Football Club. And I think I wouldn't surprise me if Arteta is not there for the next five, ten years. I think this is a long-term thing. Like, we're really like... Finishing eighth is not good enough in the Premier League. Like you and I grew up and started like supported Arsenal. We were top four every year, top four every year playing Champions League. Like when the Henri's and obviously the Bird Camps and the, mm. then the Fabregas generation, the Van Persie generation, we were always top four. Um, obviously, we, we fell short. We, we nearly could have won the Premier League title the year Leicester won it. Um, but we were always playing Champions League. But finishing eighth is not good enough. We were lucky that we won the FA Cup to get into Europa and knock Wolves out of that spot. But really, like next year's goal has got to be at least top four, get in the Champions League uh, and build from there. Like you think, it's going to be tough. Like this is probably the t- um, strongest I've ever seen in the Premier League. You think Man City's already gone out and gone stronger. Liverpool's not going to be any weaker next, the next year. Like Chelsea's already gone out and bought a handful of players as well. Like Tim and Werner is going to be, uh, I think he's going to take the Premier League by storm. United look like they're going to get maybe Jaden Sancho and they're already on the up as well. Like they're going to be there about Leicester, um, obviously Tottenham, as much as it kills me to say. <laughs> they, as long as Harry Kane's there, they're going to be pretty good. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, yeah, Ch- Chelsea, like I think Pulisic, uh, I mentioned that Pulisic is going to be really good for Chelsea. Yeah. Um, Wolves are good. Everton's good. Like there's legit, like, and I know Sheffield, um, Sheffield United were good this year as well, but really there's, eight or nine teams who will go into next year, maybe even 10 saying that, well, we want to get a Europe spot next year. And they probably think they got a legit chance. So gone are the days where there was a distinct top four before like Man City was around when it was just like, it was always Man U, Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea. That was your top four every year. But those days are gone now. And I think it's great. Like I think it's really, really exciting that the Premier League's so wide open. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, let's hope for Champions League next year then. <laughs> Fingers crossed. That, that's going to be the bare minimum for Arsenal. Like, um, yeah, realistically, we, we've got a proud club and anything less than that. Like, obviously, Europa's great, but everyone knows that we want to be playing um, in the big dance and not um, on, a, on a Friday morning yeah. on a Thursday night there where everyone knows we want to be playing on a Tuesday or Wednesday night in the Champions League. So, that's where you got to, and you got to sort of build every year, and hopefully in the next couple of years, like you and I have, like obviously, if it had been in our lifetime, but I haven't really been into the Arsenal um, club as such since we're like since we're obviously the Invincibles, but I wasn't sure we were still a bit young. Like we haven't won any Premier League since um, I've really got into it. So hopefully in the next five years we can be talking about a Premier League title. Hopefully, well. I will let you go now because I've taken up far too much of your time. But uh, thanks so much for joining me, Court. It's been a pleasure. I'll have to get you on here regularly um, to talk about some NBL, NBA, and hopefully Arsenal getting back into the Champions League. Absolutely, mate. Always happy to chat sport with you. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, and we'll talk soon. Definitely. Where can uh, people follow you on the socials? Um, oh, on, on Twitter. My Twitter handle is uh, you tested me out. It's at Court Resource, so C O R T R H Y S W A R D. Um, obviously, you can check out the South Coast Register Sports Facebook page. Um, that's where I post all most of my stories, and you'll see my other stories all across Illawarra Mercury and other Australian community media sites as well. But yeah, check me out on um, those social media platforms. Sweet, thanks, Court. Thanks, mate. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for listening to the podcast. For more episodes like this one, be sure to subscribe wherever it is you get your podcasts.